0: Well, good morning, everybody. (laughs) How are you guys doing? It's good to be back. I like and enjoy getting the opportunity to come down here and uh, just share with you from God's Word. It's always something that I love uh, getting to do. Um, I was with my church, uh, the Messio Church, this morning, and, uh, last month when I w- was here, right, I was here a month ago, I forgot to tell my church that I was leaving early from church to come down here, and so I got like all these text messages, like in the middle of the teaching last month that was like, hey, you doing okay? <laughs> um, you're not here, what's going on? And I was like, oh, that's right. I was supposed to let everyone know that I was walking out. Um, and so, this morning, I made sure to let them know that I was coming down here, um, and so they say hello, and um, yeah, just wanted you guys to know, as you were talking this morning about people reading that passage, uh, saying that prayer, you know, Missio in North Seattle is doing something very similar, just a lot earlier than you guys uh, do it, so um but I'm glad to be here with you. I want to dive in to the teaching this morning because there's kind of a lot that I want to cover. Um, This morning we are going to be looking at a passage from the book of the Old Testament that I don't actually spend a lot of time in. I haven't at least over the last uh, seven years or so. But I know that you guys have actually been in this book for a while, and so it comes from Leviticus uh, 19. I don't know if we have the passage up there—it's totally fine if we don't. But it's if you guys can use your Bibles, uh, or if you're like my church, get out your phones. That's how we uh, do things. So yeah. So whatever you need to to open it up, Leviticus 19. We're going to read this passage. It's just a couple short verses, um, but it's really a powerful uh, passage. There we go. There it is. Um, so let's read this. It says, "When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien." The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the native-born among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And this is the word of God for the people of God, right? Um, I, I like the NRSV. Um, I like that translation, except I'm not a huge fan of using the word alien, Because I always just think of like, yeah, the movie Alien. And that just scares me because I think something's going to pop out of someone's chest and then we're still supposed to love them as ourselves. But um, but anyways, uh, I I like the word foreigner or stranger. Sometimes that's, uh, some of your translations might use foreigner or stranger among you. Um, but if you guys were here last time when I was here, we, I know you guys have been in this series talking about feasts of the Old Testament. And last time I was here, we talked about how, uh, hospitality and how hospitality is one of like the heartbeats of God, right? When you think of those feasts that you guys have been looking at, one of the, the reasons that God has those feasts is so that he can extend his hospitality to the people around him. It's in hospitality. We talked about the core of hospitality is this idea of a longing, to make a connection with somebody, to connect with the people around us. And so that's um, that's kind of hospitality, but there's there was a piece of this idea of hospitality that we didn't really get to, t- to dig into last month when I was here, and I want to talk about it because I feel like it's really important. Again, remember we said that hospitality is seeking to form a genuine connection with the people around us. But one of the fundamental ways that we become people of hospitality is by adopting this posture of welcome. This posture of welcome to the people around us. And I realize that that can feel like we're just digging into semantics, that there's just a semantical difference between something like hospitality and this idea of welcome. But what I want us to do this morning is begin to understand how each of those things in their proper place are really important and how becoming a welcoming people actually leads to lives of hospitality. All right? All right. Um, and so at my church at Missio in North Seattle, we have what we call, uh, the hospitality team. The hospitality team gets there early and helps me set up. They kind of, they make the communion bread, um, that, that is, that we have every, every week. Um, and then one of their jobs is to help tear down and help clean everything up. Um, but one of the main jobs they do in between the setup and the cleanup is that there is, one person who stands by the door and is the welcome person, the greeter for our church. And, and if you kind of can kind of picture uh, our, our space, okay, so we have this parking lot kind of on the side of our building. And to get to the front door, you kind of have to get to the sidewalk and you make you kind of walk down this long sidewalk and that's where the door to the entrance of our building is. And so the welcome person, their job is to stand there and greet people as they're coming into our church. And so one of the things that we tell people when we are training them how to welcome people, how to greet people, Is that we will say, just assume, just assume that every person's arrival is the cause of your joy. Right? So so every single person that you see, it, they are the cause of your joy in that moment. Receive each person with gladness as you are admitting them to be a part of the gathering of faith. And I think at first people were like, wait, we're supposed to do that with everybody? Like even the people that we see every single week? And we and to that we say yes. To the people you see every single week, I want you to to welcome them, to greet them. Like literally they are the cause of your joy in the moment. So when people come to Missio, we, again, we have that long sidewalk that leads to, from the parking lot to the front door. And one of my favorite places to be at our church, which I don't always get to do because I'm usually inside kind of finishing setting up and and doing all that stuff, but I love to be that person who gets to greet people as they come in. That gets to welcome people as they're coming in the door. Because what what happens when people are received with joy? Like, for you all, when you enter a place and you know that the people who are in that space are excited that you are there, how does that make you feel? Like, I just want to hear it, like, for real. Like, how does it make you guys feel? Good, right? Yeah, it makes you feel welcomed. makes you feel great. It feels like, man, this place has some life and energy to it, right? It's fun for me to watch as people then can't help but find joy in themselves when I assume that they are the cause of my joy. right? It's just like this thing, this infectious thing that spreads to them, this idea of joy. There's something about this idea of being welcoming that causes people to be seen in ways that I'm not sure they are typically seen in other arenas of their lives. When we first moved to Seattle... Seven years ago, we were our team was kind of going from church to church on Sundays as we were just kind of getting a feel for the church world in Seattle. And this is a pretty typical way that you know missionaries or church planters, when they're moving into a place, they're trying to get an understanding of how things work in the city and who's doing what and all this kind of stuff. So you kind of go from church to church and get to know people and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one church in particular we were visiting. I knew one of the guys that was going to that church. And and so obviously he was a friend of mine, so he knew that we were moving to Seattle to plant a church. And so this friend of mine, he wanted me to meet his pastor. And I was like, absolutely, I don't know many people in this city. I would love to meet a local guy who can just kind of teach me the ropes that I can learn from and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) <laughs> so, so I meet this pastor, and I'll never forget this interaction that I have with this guy's uh, pastor. I introduced myself to him, and I told him that I had just moved here to plant a church, and I would love to meet up with him to learn all these different things, right? And so he says to me, you know, you know Seattle's really difficult to plant a church in, right? And I was like, yeah, totally, I get that. I understand fully that it's a difficult place. He goes, no, you don't know it. He goes, it's hard for me. Just, how, just imagine how hard it's going to be for you. And then he just walked away. And I, mean, I remember just thinking, wow, this was like one of the first guys that I had met in the city doing the thing that I came to do. And I was just thinking to myself, sweet, this was a really, really good decision to move all the way to Seattle to uh, plant a church. But then a couple weeks later, I we're going to a different church and and you know the pastor I end up actually meeting the pastor of that church for for coffee during the week and he Sits me down, we're at a park bench in the park, and he's like, just tell me, tell me all your dreams. Just tell me what your, what, what, why, what's your vision. What do you want to do here in this city? And so I'm talking to him, and he says, hey, you gotta, you got to come back to my church. And he brings me into his conference room. He shows me this map on the wall. He's like, man, we've been praying for uh, someone to go to the Northgate neighborhood, which is where we planted our church. We've been praying for someone to go to that, church, or that place to plant a church. He just goes, we are 100% behind you. This is the first time I've met this guy. He goes, anything you need, it, just let me know. We're, we're a part of this, this with you. That There's something empowering, right? There's something encouraging and inspiring about being received with joy by someone else. About being welcomed by them into a place. And I think we kind of all get this intellectually. We get the point and the power of creating a welcoming culture in our churches, in our homes, and our just who we are as people, right? But here's, I think, where the hard part is. What happens when the person who's walking towards you is just fundamentally different than you? What happens when the person who's coming at you is just completely different from who you would normally spend your time with? What happens when we don't feel the energy or the strength within ourselves to be a welcoming presence for someone else? See, I don't think that we really need sermons reminding us to be people that are welcoming. I think we know that. I like think we know that we're supposed to be welcoming. I think sometimes we just need to be reminded how to get there. How, how, do we, how do we do that? What does that actually look like? So that's what we want to unpack a little bit this morning together. I want to reread that Leviticus passage just one more time. It says, and I'm going to use the foreigner language because alien scares me. So um, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. How many of you guys have had children in your life before? Like just at any point in time, right? Okay. Most of you guys have had kids before. What, what happened when you saw your kid coming into the world? Like literally, just tell me. What did you guys, what did you guys feel? That's, Enough said, everyone. No more answers. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. There we go. Right? Okay, I'm glad you actually said that because I was terrified. <laughs> right? There's like joy, but like also mixed with this incredible sense of fear and, and terror where it's like, I don't, I am not qualified to be caring for this person. They are, now dependent on me and I have no idea what I'm about to do, right? But there's joy also mixed with the unknown. This phrase... This phrase native-born that was in the text in our English Bibles, I think it's a decent translation in the Hebrew, uh, but it doesn't quite give the full depth of what is actually being talked about in this passage. What's being described in this passage. What it literally says in the Hebrew language was that strangers and foreigners are to be treated as one born among you. Right, As one who is born from among you. Now, in the ancient world, as in a lot of places outside of America today, people lived in what is called a collectivist culture. You guys understand that to be true, I'm sure, right? We, we live in America in a very individualistic culture, but in many cultures today, and certainly in the ancient world, it was highly collectivist. And so which meant that the good of the community was always placed above your own personal good because you saw how the good of the community actually meant your good. Like it meant that you would benefit from that, right? And so in scripture there are, I mean, there are just numerous moments in scripture that use language like us and we, right? To describe the people of God. And so we are the people of God. And so constantly there is this idea that, that we are assumed to be understood in a collectivist Way, In collectivist cultures, the reputation of the family was inescapable on the part of the individual. Which often meant that also the sin of the family landed on the individual. And so you find a lot of prayers of communal confession in Scripture. Uh, You guys know Daniel was really realistically kind of seen as one of the very few characters and people in Scripture who didn't have like this massive falling out with God, right? Daniel was known as just a, a deeply spiritual follower of God who, even in the midst of all this stuff, was praying three times a day. But what does he say in Daniel chapter 9 as he is praying? He's saying, he's confessing to God, he's saying, we have sinned against you, God. And he's talking to the we there, he's talking about is Israel. And so Daniel was praying this, this prayer of confession on a part of the whole. And so this idea of treating strangers and foreigners as one who was born from among us would have implied that we see, that we see these kinds of people as blood family, as a part of our family, a part of the whole. I mean, this is what Paul was talking about when he mentions that we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God, right? My my brother-in-law and his family live in Oklahoma. He's a preacher at a church in Oklahoma. And they have three uh, adopted children. One, uh, John, they adopted from Ethiopia. And then Amara and Jasmine, they adopted from within the foster system in Oklahoma. And when we use this idea of treating people as one born among us, this implies this idea of adoption into the family. When we see John and Amara and, and Jasmine We see Gramberg children. That's my, my wife's family name is Gramberg, and so that's his brother, her brother's last name. We see Gramberg children. We don't see their, a difference. We don't see them as, as separate. They are a part of the family. They are family. And it goes beyond, I think, this idea of blood relative though, doesn't it? One of the things we know to be true about being followers of, of Jesus is that you and I are not blood relatives. I don't know if you knew that. We are not related. But there's something that goes deeper than blood, isn't there? Than our blood. It's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus forms us into a family that goes deeper than our blood connection or disconnection. And in Leviticus, the expectation would have been when you see a foreigner, when you see a stranger, you act as if the only difference between your blood family and these new people is simply when they become a part of your family. That's how we're supposed to treat people. It says, so love them as yourself. And this is a phrase that we know pretty well, right? It's the second greatest commandment. That's what Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this, I think, is kind of an incredible thing. The the Levitical law was often seen as so radical to the people who would have been hearing about it. I think even today we find ourselves going, Wait. The Levitical law actually says for this to to take place. It actually says that. That's what it means, right? And the answer is yes. Thousands of years ago, God introduced the expectation that we, as his people, become the most welcoming people on the planet. And yet so often I, I look around at churches in America and I wonder if we have forgotten our role of being a welcoming people. So how do we get to this reality? How do we become this thing that God is calling us to be? I think one of the things that I've become convinced of is that prayer changes how we see the people around us. Prayer changes us. Okay, We just wrapped up a series at our church called uh, What if Jesus was Serious About Prayer? And last week, we talked about this idea about how prayer fundamentally changes the way we see everything around us. Because it causes us to to stop seeing through our human eyes and start seeing through the heart of God. In Acts chapter 16, there's this story of Paul and Silas in prison. I'm sure you guys remember this story, right? They are in prison and they are singing and they are praying. And then what happens? There's this huge earthquake, right? Right? This earthquake happens. the The doors of all the cells are, are burst open, right? And and the guard who is standing, who is supposed to be keeping people in the prison, is, sees all these cells open and assumes everyone has escaped. And what happens to a to a guard who is supposed to make it so no one escapes if everyone happens to escape? What happens? Yeah, he he's he's gone. So he decides instead of being killed at the hands of somebody else, he's just going to take his own life. What does Paul do in that moment? He's like, no, don't. Don't do that. Everybody is here. Check it all out. Check every single cell. Everyone is still in this prison waiting. And I, see, I think the thing that we sometimes miss about this story is the truth that in this story, the jailer would have essentially been the enemy of Paul and Silas. They would have been, he would have essentially been the the enemy. He's holding them in prison. He's a part of the system that unjustly put them there in the first place. And yet in this moment, I think because of the praying and singing that they did in that moment, they didn't see this jailer as an enemy. They saw him as someone worthy of being saved. And it's not just that they saw his need for salvation. You guys know that at the end of the story, he's like, hey, what do I got to do to be saved? But I think they saw that they could save his life. By staying in the prison, by not escaping when they could have, they could save his life. See, I think prayer changes fundamentally how we see the people around us. When Laura and I, my wife and I, moved to uh, Seattle, uh, we, I knew that one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to work and volunteer in the, the world of, of homelessness and addiction and abuse. Uh, over the course of years in my family of origin, uh, we had, I grew up with five brothers and sisters, and we had um, two divorces because of abuse. Uh, my brother suffered from severe addictions, and so I, I knew that I wanted to spend some of my time working with people in those contexts of, of life. And so I worked with the victim support team with the Seattle Police Department, and we would uh, go to scenes of domestic violence in the city of Seattle, sometimes some just incredibly devastating uh, scenes of, of violence. And then I worked at an overnight youth shelter spending time with homeless youth who had oftentimes been kicked to the curb of life by their families for a variety of reasons. But in both of those Places of work and volunteer, I worked the overnight shift. And so I would find myself in a lot of times of just kind of silence, waiting for something to happen that I needed to respond to. And in those moments of silence, oftentimes I would just pray. Because what do you do when you're supposed to be helping people in devastating situations? You, you find yourself in moments of prayer. I think when you see the, the constant pain and suffering in a city, it can do one of a few things in people, right? Sometimes it can cause people to become hardened and angry, often not even toward the injustice that they're seeing, but to what seems like the unsightliness of the suffering, right? And so people begin to wish that it would just disappear and kind of go away. I think it can cause you to feel such anguish and despair because of the injustice that it causes you to feel like, look, look, there's just nothing that I can do, so why try? And then we can become numb to it. But I think also it can cause people to feel like they want to do something. They just don't know how to start, where to go, what to do, and so they constantly feel guilty for not doing enough. And I see those responses all the time to things like this in our city. But one of the things that I began to notice just kind of night after night of prayer was the way that I began to be changed in how I saw the things around me. I I no longer saw suffering as inevitable or unchangeable or, or just a part of life that we need to ignore or accept. I didn't feel angry. I didn't feel helpless or guilty. I just felt a longing to genuinely see people and to be near them. I'm not sure if you guys all heard um, about the school shooting that happened on Tuesday morning at Ingram High School in North Seattle. Tragic uh, moment where one person was killed, and, and gratefully not more people were killed, but still it was a loss of life. When we first lived in Seattle, we lived a mile from Ingram High School. It was the high school that my kids would have been going to if we had stayed in Seattle and not bought a house in Shoreline, only three miles from Ingram High School. And sometimes I feel like in, in our world, we, we have become things like this have become all too common, right? So we hear about it and we're like, oh, that's tragic, and we kind of move on. Because we hear about these things happening all all the time. And I think sometimes we can do all sorts of mental gymnastics to make the moment of tragedy about something other than what it is, which is the loss of life. A moment for lament becomes a moment to push something else. And I think a lot of the reason this happens is because we so often fail to see people to genuinely see and understand who people are. The local elementary school that that Missio, the church that uh, I pastor, has partnered with for many years now is called Northgate Elementary, and it's one of the the elementaries that eventually feeds into Ingram High School. And so we know countless families who have been affected by this uh, moment this last week. So I think sometimes the way we see things like pain and suffering in the world, can be from this kind of hugely broad perspective that never has a name or a face attached to it. It's just a generic issue that we see from afar or we read about in our city. See, I think the thing that prayer has this power to change the way we see the people around us from seeing with our own eyes to seeing through the heart of God. And one of the things I was thinking about this week, my, my daughter is uh, 13. Um, she goes to Edmonds Heights School uh, in Edmonds School District. But one of the things that uh, we have seen as a gifting in her is this: she, she connects with the people that most other students don't connect with. And we've told her, this is a beautiful like, gift of God that He has placed in you. And, and one of the things that we see in her is this ability to see the people right in front of her and this longing for her to connect with these people. And I, and I just wonder, how, how much less would things like these school shootings on Tuesday happen if people began to see each other? to to understand each other, to be connected with each other, right? As we begin to see people through the heart of God, then we can't help but make them the cause of our joy. I think this is really important. And and we we, we don't wait for people to become a part of the family of Jesus, to treat them as such, right? Right? I think sometimes we forget that we don't have the power to change the hearts of people. That power belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone, right? And I think God knows this, which is why in Leviticus, he doesn't say, all right, so when you see a foreigner and stranger, I want you to wait until until they clean up their lives and look acceptable to you and then treat them as if they are a part of your family. That's not what he says, right? Right? He says, when you see these people, treat them as one who is born among you. I think in churches we have at times usurped the role of God by claiming to hold the keys to people's acceptance among us. And yet God says, look, your role, (laughs) our role, is to treat those people as blood family. Why? Why do we treat people like that? Because while we may not have the power to change the hearts of people, God has chosen to use his power and wisdom through our obedience to bringing in the foreigner and stranger among us into our family to do the work of changing the hearts of people. I think this is what often causes me to just kind of pause and really think about what God has chosen to do through his people. Through you and I. God has chosen that his power to transform the human heart be attached to our willingness to welcome people into our lives and to love them in ways that are both unexpected by us and unreachable by us unless we choose to live deeply into this Leviticus passage. And the way that we get there, the way we begin to be shaped and changed is to prayerfully invite God's power to change how we see everything from using our own eyes to using the the heart of God to see people. To be a people of welcome requires that we allow God to give us his eyes for just one second. You guys, there's this song by a guy named Brandon Heath. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he wrote this song. that came out probably when I was in middle school, and it says, Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity, and it's this beautiful picture, uh, He's trying to articulate to people to say, "Look, we sometimes cannot see people the way that God wants us to see them, so we have to step into moments of prayer to say, "God, do the thing that I cannot do on my own, and help me to see the people around us the way that you see them." Because man, when we see people, the way God sees people, then we cannot help but have them be the cause of our joy. Because we are the cause of God's joy, right? The reason I love the welcome position at the door of our church at Missio is because in those moments, my heart has the opportunity to begin to see people with the heart of God. And so the question I want to ask is who is the stranger and the foreigner among us. You guys know, you know, that that means so many things. Who are the people around us who need us to see them through the heart of God? Who need us to begin to shed the way that we use our eyes to to place that back with the heart of God so that we can actually see them as God sees them? People who see our neighbors and our coworkers and our people at the store, people who are living on the streets as though they were born from among us. A part of our family. So here's your challenge for the weeks and the weeks to come, okay? You guys ready for the challenge? Which, by the way, did you guys do the hospitality challenge? Okay, I hope you did. I didn't mean to put that down. Um, the challenge way too high the challenge for you guys is let's all begin to pray and in our prayers we want to pray to have the way that we see changed so that we no longer see with our own eyes but through the heart of God and then when we interact with people when we interact with anybody during our week no matter where it is I just wonder what would happen if we greeted them as if they were the cause of our joy. What would happen in those moments? And don't be weird about it, all right? Like, it can be super awkward. Let's not make it weird or, or awkward. But just think, how, how do you guys actually love your family? How do you greet and welcome the people that are closest to you? You greet them with warmth and with joy and with gladness, right? Right? Let's let that be the way that we greet and welcome the people around us. Last night, I was um, at the uh, Nordic Museum. You guys know what the Nordic Museum is in Ballard? Um, the Music Center, it's just a museum in Ballard, there it is. <laughs> um, but uh, the Music Center of the Northwest, which is the building that we meet in as a church, was having their annual auction, and so they were looking for volunteers to do different things, and I volunteered, and I was like, hey, what do you want me to do? And they're like, hey, would you greet people at the door? I'm like, I'm preaching on it tomorrow, so yes, I will, I will greet people t- tonight. Um, and it was such a fun experience because I was trying to think through this lens. And I completely missed so many people that were coming through the door, but I was like actively trying to see them and have them be the cause of my joy. And it was so much fun just to, just to say hi in a way that makes people know that they are, they are welcome in that place. What would happen if that's the way we went through life and just everyone we see were like, I'm so glad to see you. I don't even know your name. I don't, I've don't never met you before, but I'm glad to have this moment with you. I think it would change so much about how the world works. I think it's the thing that God is calling us to as his people. Um, let's pray, and then we're going to keep worshiping. So let's pray. God, We know that we don't have the power to become these things that you have called us to in life. We know so often that the the calling to be these things that we read about in Scripture is so far beyond our reach, and yet you have given us the Spirit to help us in our weakness. And so right now, God, I just pray that we become a people of just amazing welcome. That when we see the people around us, we treat them as if they are the cause of our joy. And may that be the birthplace of change in our world, God. I'm just so grateful for the, the command that you gave us millennia ago to love the foreigner and stranger among us, to treat them as people who are as if they were born in our families, God. May we take that to heart and become people of welcome in our city. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.